where does Messiah fit into the system of the Torah? We can find many places where the Torah hints at and alludes to the Messiah's coming. We, there are many stories in the Torah of individuals that foreshadow the Messiah, but I'm not asking whether the Messiah is mentioned in the Torah. Clearly he is, but what category or role does the Torah provide for Messiah? Messiah as a position or job description has many functions and facets, but in terms of the Torah's legalities and outline for the structure of Israel's government, Messiah fits into the role of king. That's why we refer to the Messiah as the son of David. You may recall how the Magi found our master Yeshua on their quest seeking the king of the Jews. And that same title was inscribed above our master's tortured body as a facetious insult. While the Messiah has a deep, multifaceted role to play in the world as Redeemer, in terms of the Torah's legal fine print, he's to be the king of Israel. And as such, he's subject to the laws regarding kings found in this week's Parsha. Now, the sages debated a classic question on this passage. Does the Torah command Israel to appoint a king, or does it merely permit them to do so? The text seems ambiguous. Here's Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 15 from the ESV. It says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Okay, the, the translation, you may indeed set a king, sounds like it's just giving permission. However, in Hebrew, it sounds more like an emphatic commandment. Som tasim alecha melech, you must certainly set a king over you. Think about it. If God chooses the king, like it says, how could it be optional to set him over you? And if Messiah is a king, is he optional? Clearly not. But on the other hand, if appointing a king is commanded, why was it seen so negatively in, in 1 Samuel 8, before the appointment of King Saul? In that episode, the elders of Israel gathered to the prophet Samuel and demanded that he appoint a king. This bothered Samuel, so he prayed about it, and God said, They have not rejected you, they have rejected me as their king. Was it wrong of them to ask for a king? Some of the sages point out that the problem wasn't that they wanted a king, it was that they wanted it on their own terms. They didn't want Samuel telling them what to do anymore. They wanted to be like the other nations. But in theory, the right king, at the right time, for the right reason, is a mitzvah. The passage I just read from Deuteronomy reveals an important qualification for any would-be king. It says, One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You might jump in and say, well, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites are our brothers. But the Torah comes right back and says, you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. In other words, legitimate Israelites only. Well, that qualification is an interesting detail to apply to Messiah. We all know that Messiah must be a son of David, 
and a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this commandment is not about his ancestry. It's about his brotherhood. Because there are some people who acknowledge that Yeshua was born and raised among Jews, but they still assert either explicitly or implicitly that somehow he grew out of it, and or that the Jewishness does not define him any longer. And yet, here comes the Torah and tells us that to be king, and therefore to be Messiah, Yeshua must not simply have Jewish ancestry, the Jewish people must be his brothers. Now, there was once a man who started dating a woman from Croatia. She had moved to the U.S. as an adult, but she spoke decent English. The man got to know her very well over a period of several months, and he enjoyed the many ways that he found her to be a unique person. Finally, he took a trip to meet her family in Croatia. A new dimension of this woman came alive as he saw her speaking with her family in their native tongue. A new side of her personality emerged as she bickered with her siblings and reminisced about past experiences and revisited the old places in her neighborhood where she grew up. Through this encounter with her social and cultural context, he grew to appreciate ways in which she was truly one of a kind. In the process, he also learned some ways in which in which she was not so unique after all, but was a, a product of her culture and her upbringing. Nonetheless, the experience strengthened his appreciation for her and the closeness of their relationship. Now, getting to know someone better means learning things about them that you didn't know before. It also means discovering some things that you once thought about them that were not quite right. People often say that they want to know Yeshua more. But all too often, what they really want is to feel more assured in the beliefs that they already hold about him. And if you think you know Yeshua, you should try meeting his family, his brothers. Ironically, our adoration of Yeshua prevents us from wanting to group him with others, as if putting him in a category will reduce his greatness. We're, we're used to seeing him in his divinity. It's uncomfortable to acknowledge him also as a human, a Jew, a prophet, a teacher, and a rabbi, all titles that the New Testament readily applies to him. If you feel this way, it's not your fault. Time, culture, and language barriers separate us from the world of Yeshua. Church history has amplified that effect by intentionally distancing Yeshua from his brothers. It has taken scholars centuries to reconcile Yeshua to his context. Here's another factor. The Gospels take for granted the brotherhood between Yeshua and his contemporaries. They focus more on the resistance to his message. As a result, the untrained reader will come away with a, a false impression that Yeshua and his brothers are on opposing sides. It's like watching the, the Democratic presidential debates and not realizing these are all members of the same political party. What I'd like to do now is introduce you to some members of Yeshua's family tree, the brothers of King Messiah, in, in the way that the, the Torah is using the term. These are some ancient rabbis who lived around the time of the destruction of the Second Temple. Like in any family, each of them is unique. But I'm going to focus on the family resemblances, which are, are so often overlooked. 
we should probably begin with Hillel the Elder. Hillel was originally a part of the Jewish community in Babylon, but he came to Israel at age 40 to advance his studies. He was born about 100 years before Yeshua and died a very old man when Yeshua was a young man. Hillel could trace his family to the house of David on his mother's side. By trade, he was a woodcutter. A prospective convert came to Hillel and asked him, Teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. Hillel told him, Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah. Everything else is commentary. This open approach truly defined Hillel. His motto was, Be a disciple of Aaron, loving peace, pursuing peace, loving people, and bringing them closer to the Torah. Rather than Shammai, who was selective to only choose the cream of the crop as disciples, Hillel's approach was, teach everyone. He said, there have been many sinners in Israel who were brought near to Torah study and turned into righteous, devout, and proper individuals. And Hillel loved puns and wordplay. He would switch freely between Aramaic and Hebrew depending on what would give his teaching better rhythm and rhyme. Now let me introduce Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. I like to point out that despite his foreign-sounding name, if he had appeared in the New Testament, we would know him as John, son of Zacchaeus. Yochanan ben Zakkai was a famous teacher with five primary disciples, although he often taught to large crowds in the temple courts. Once he quoted Ecclesiastes 9.8, which says, Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. He told a parable based on this verse to explain why you must not delay repentance, but should always be prepared to meet God. He said, This can be compared to a king who invited his servants to a banquet, but did not tell them when it would be. The wise ones adorned themselves and sat at the entrance of the palace. They reasoned, The palace lacks nothing needed for the banquet. It could occur at any time. The foolish ones kept working on other things. They reasoned, What banquet doesn't need time to prepare? Suddenly the king summoned his servants. The wise ones entered the palace beautifully adorned, but the foolish entered the palace dirty. The king happily greeted the wise ones, but angrily greeted the foolish. He said, Let the ones who adorned themselves for the banquet sit, eat, and drink. Let the ones who did not adorn themselves stand and watch. Yohanan's motto was, if you've learned a lot of Torah, don't con congratulate yourself. That's the whole reason you exist. Yochanan was always known for being the first to greet another person, even Gentiles. He was also known for his clashes with Sadducees. This was usually through debates and arguments, but reportedly he once slashed a Sadducean priest's ear to disqualify him from the priesthood. Yochanan ben Zakkai foresaw the destruction of the temple 40 years beforehand, but when it happened, he was nonetheless stunned. When his student Yehoshua exclaimed, The place of atonement for Israel's sins has been destroyed, Yochanan responded, Don't be troubled, for we have another source of atonement like it, acts of kindness. As it is said in Hosea 6.6, 6, I have desired kindness and not sacrifice. That's Yochanan ben Zakkai. Now let me tell you about another of Yeshua's brothers, by the name of Hanina Bendosa. 
Hanina Bendosa was a modest man who grew up in a small village in Galilee. He could have been wealthy, like Yohanan ben Zakkai, but instead he chose a life of poverty, working as a stonecutter so that he should not receive his reward in this world. Although he had a school and he had disciples, he didn't have much to say about the details of Jewish law. Instead, he simply taught people to fear God and seek good relationships with others. He said that if you prioritize intellectual study over fear of sin, then your wisdom won't last. But if you prioritize a healthy fear of sin, then your learning will endure. He taught that if you're at peace with others, God is at peace with you. But if you're not at peace with others, God is not at peace with you. He was known as a miracle worker because his prayers were so effective. There are so many stories about his miracles. We could sit and talk about them all day. Of course, Hanina Mendoza never took credit for any miracle. But even though the elite sages looked down on him, they knew that if they really wanted an answer to prayer, they had to ask Hanina Mendoza, and this frustrated them to no end. Once it happened that the son of Rabban Gamliel became ill, he sent messengers to Hanina, so Hanina went to the upper room to pray. Then he came down and told the messengers, Go, the fever has left him. They asked, how do you know this? Are you a prophet? He said, no, I'm not a prophet. I, I just know that when a prayer is fluent in my mouth, it will be accepted. The messengers took note of what time it was. And when they returned to Gamaliel, they found that the boy was healed at the exact moment Hanina said so. There was once a man named Nehunia who dug cisterns for public use. His daughter had fallen into a deep cistern and they couldn't get her out. They came to Hanina to ask for help. He, he simply said, she's fine. An hour later, they came to him again. He said, she's fine. When they return an hour later, he tells them, she's gotten out. They asked the girl, who took you out? She told them, there is this ram with some old guy leading it. They turned to Hanina and asked, seriously, are you a prophet? He said, no, I'm not a prophet. I, it's just, it just kind of made sense that she'd be okay because her dad does so much public good making these cisterns. In a certain place, there was a poisonous snake that kept biting people. The people of the village informed Hanina Bendosa. He said, show me the hole. So they brought him to it. He stuck his heel in the hole, but when the snake bit it, the snake died. He slung the dead snake over his shoulder and walked into the study hall. He told the people there, look, my children, it's not the snake that kills. It's sin that kills. There was a well-known demon who would attack people who went out alone at night. Once that demon encountered Hanina Bendosa, she hissed, I would have harmed you if it weren't for a voice in heaven that announced, be careful of Hanina and his Torah. Hanina responded, well, if I'm so well regarded in heaven, I command you never to travel through inhabited places again. Just like with our master Yeshua, the demon begged for mercy. Please, I need a little, at least a little space. He conceded, okay, but only on Erev Shabbat and Tuesday night. The, the sages claim that every day a heavenly voice emerges from Mount Horeb and says, the whole world is nourished for the sake of my son, Hanina. Yet for my son, Hanina, a couple quarts of caribs is enough sustenance to hold him over for, from one Shabbat to the next. So that's Hanina Bendosa. Now allow me to introduce a sage that would have had substantial differences from Yeshua, but nonetheless, the resemblances still shine through. 
Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef was born around the time the Gospels were being written. Growing up as a poor shepherd, he studied diligently later in life to become one of the most prominent sages of all time. After the destruction of the temple, he helped to refocus and systematize the Jewish faith. When discussing with other rabbis about the greatest principle in the Torah, he defined it as Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. In addition to having five main disciples, he defied the Roman Empire by teaching and studying the Torah with crowds of thousands. He was brought before a Roman judge when the time came for morning prayers. Without fear, he declared the words of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Rabbi Akiva was convicted of rebellion and tortured to death by the Romans. In summary, I've briefly introduced you to four members of Yeshua's extended family, four of his brothers, you could say, Hillel the Elder, Yochanan ben Zakkai, Hanina ben Dosa, and Rabbi Akiva. There are so many others that could have made this list, but we only have so much time. We're not followers of any of those four sages specifically. We are faithful disciples of Yeshua of Nazareth. As his disciples, it's our goal to know him and his Torah as well as we can. If you really want to, to get to know someone, you should see them when they're with their family. Yeshua is not just our rabbi, he's our king. And if he's our king, then according to the Torah, the Jewish people are his brothers. Unfortunately, some followers of Yeshua like to criticize or villainize the sages. Sure, Yeshua had some harsh words for religious folks in his generation. Although your run-of-the-mill Pharisee is not the same thing as a sage. Nonetheless, his criticism was based on the fact that as religious and educated Jews, they, of all people, should know how to behave. He primarily criticized them for pretending, that is, behaving properly on the outside, but improperly on the inside. And his criticism came from a place of love and concern. Yeshua and his Jewish brothers are members of the same team. Disparaging or insulting other rabbis does not prove or support your devotion to Yeshua. Insulting your wife's sisters does not prove how much you love your wife. We can simply appreciate the sages for who they are. Fallible, yet wise and God-fearing men bearing extraordinary responsibilities in God-given roles of leadership. They all have probably would have had some strong disagreements with Yeshua, even if they have certain things in common. But disagreements are normal, even celebrated in Judaism. That's why the sages have so much to say. Okay, other sages taught about love and repentance. Other sages, other rabbis experienced miracles, casted out demons, and, and even had a degree of prophetic insight. Other teachers taught in parables. And other righteous men and women paid the ultimate price for their faith and loyalty. None of this should be a surprise. They're, these are Yeshua's people. The similarity between Yeshua and his brothers affirms his claim to be the Messiah. Yet, despite all their family resemblances, 
Our master Yeshua is undeniably unique. Although his vocabulary and his means of communication is the same as other rabbis, he was the only one in his time to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of heaven so vividly. He was the only one who cast such a clear vision of the upcoming exile, its causes, and its solutions. And significantly, our rabbi rose from the dead, paving the way for all of us to attain the resurrection when he returns. We can confidently say that he is not just our rabbi, he is our king messiah. Seeing the parallels among the the Jewish contemporaries of Yeshua does not reduce him to simply one rabbi among many. Instead, it reveals his true glory. Yeshua is great enough on his own that he does not need us to put down others to elevate him. Learning about the ancient sages is like learning about Yeshua's family. It adds dimensionality and depth to our understanding of him. In turn, this helps us to understand what he taught and and why he did what he did. Yeshua and the sages painted with the same palette of colors, so to speak. By learning the sages, you gain essential context and become better equipped to learn Yeshua's teachings. After gaining this frame of reference, you'll be able to apply Yeshua's teachings within the new context you've learned. And if your experience is anything like mine, you'll feel like a whole new world has opened up to you. You will grow to know him for who he really is and and truly become a devoted disciple of Rabbi Yeshua, King of Israel.